the pitch from King MOX Sports. The young swings and lifts a high fly ball. It's a grand slam. This is a Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Shot clock off. Jumper. Yes! Jimerson from 15 on the baseline. Billikens win. Meyer Jensen, a personal injury law firm. Because sometimes the gloves have to come off. MeyerJensen.com. Touchdown! Kansas City! Now, Sports Open Line on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome into the program. My name is Matt Pauley. we got a lot to get to over the next couple hours. If you want to join us, 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. You can tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air. A couple big sports stories today. First off, the Cardinals are in the market for a new bench coach as uh, Skip Schumacher leaving the organization. He is headed to Miami to uh, take on the Marlins. He is going to be their manager. So uh, Schumacher Another individual in the long line of Cardinals bench coaches that get managerial positions, couple with uh, Oliver Marmel and Mike Schilt uh, staying in the organization, but even uh, David Bell from a few years ago was a Cardinals bench coach, and uh, he is a uh, he he moved into those ranks as well. But uh, Skip Schumacher headed to a tough situation in Miami, really tough situation. Uh, good in the sense that they've got some high level pitching, not good in the sense that they're not really a team that seems overly in enthused to spend money. So Schumacher's gone. He's with the Marlins. We'll see how he does as a manager and the Cardinals are going to be looking for a new bench coach. I'm sure uh, president of baseball operations, John Moselock will address that tomorrow. He is scheduled to meet with the media for the first time since the season uh, came to an end. And I uh, don't know if they were waiting to see uh, what happened with uh, Schumacher or not, if he was going to take that, uh, if he was, because it'd been out there for a while that he was going to be uh, interviewing and very quickly uh, he takes that job. Craig Mish, who covers, uh, who has covered the Marlins for a long time, does a lot of stuff from a national standpoint as well. Really good baseball guy. He's going to join us at about 6.35. We're going to talk uh, Billkins basketball this hour as well with Earl Austin Jr. He's going to join us uh, in about 10 minutes or so, around 6.20 is when uh, Earl's going to be uh, on the program. The other big story today, and you've heard us uh, talk about this both in our newscast and sportscast. This is one of those stories that kind of jumps between news and sports. Centene is not going to be the naming rights sponsor for the new soccer stadium. And this is a weird deal, and nobody is saying anything right now. What makes it a weird deal is Centene had originally agreed to a 15-year naming rights sponsorship with the soccer club, and that's... Now, that's not a two-year deal. That's not a three-year deal. That's not a five-year deal. That's a you don't go into a fifteen-year deal without really thinking it through. And now, all of a sudden, before the club has even played a single game, they are out. Uh, the stadium is going to be known at least temporarily as City Park. Uh, they, I'm sure they are going back to the drawing board and looking for a new naming rights sponsor. That's a good amount of revenue that I'm sure the club wants coming in. Uh, there still will be a relationship uh, between the club and Centene. Uh, not really clear what that's going to uh, look like. Um, and yeah, just we just weird. It's just weird. And nobody's saying anything of substance at this point. That's part of what is kind of what we're trying to figure out here. Nobody is saying a thing about why uh, this has dissolved. There's been things said about. Uh, what the relationship is going to look like moving forward. And that doesn't even really 
give you much of an idea of why why this happened. And uh, according, you know, the, the headline from the Post-Dispatch and STL Today is Centene backs out of St. Louis Soccer Stadium naming deal. So it certainly seems like this was uh, Centene's decision and uh, not um, St. Louis City's uh, decision to uh, to do this. But I'm just kind of I'm just talking through it right now in a uh, in a statement from the club. Uh, they said that uh, after discussions with Centene, the groups agreed to reshape their partnership. Centene uh, says they are going to continue to work together on community health and wellness initiatives. Community health and wellness initiatives. So the two sides are going to be partners on that. It's a weird story. Like this is one of those things where. What do you say? Like it just it's odd and until we get more information, I was talking with somebody earlier and they're like, Well, is there a contract or did, did you know, why did they let him out of the contract? Like, I don't know. But if Centine goes to the club and's like, Yeah, we, we we we're not gonna do this, are you really gonna sue him? Are you like and there's still a relationship there? I don't know if there's any animosity. I don't know. It's just weird. It's just weird and Stadium naming rights are always an odd thing. I've always thought, you know, there there are people in Los Angeles who do not accept the fact that it's not the Staples Center anymore. Where I was working five months ago in Milwaukee, it's always Miller Park to people out. Like there's there's people who were visibly uh, angry when that became American Family Field. And to be honest with you, like if the Cardinals were ever playing in that ballpark and it wasn't called Bush Stadium anymore there would be a very, very large reaction to that. Now, the only thing I would say about that, the reason I think Bush Stadium is a little bit different than some of these other things is because not only is Bush Stadium from a naming rights sponsor, the, the, the name of a beer, but your, your former owner was Bush. Like that, it, it, it honors not just the what you're trying to advertise at the moment, but there's obviously a lineage to uh, ownership going back uh, to when the brewery uh, owned the Cardinals. So I think that's a little bit different, but still, if all of a sudden the Cardinals were playing in a ballpark and it wasn't called Bush stadium, it wouldn't be the end of the world yet. I promise you we would, it would be like the Apple TV thing where calls would just be coming through nonstop about how horrible, how much of a travesty this is that they would not be playing in a stadium called Bush stadium. Again, that's not going to happen anytime soon, but it's just the whole stadium naming rights thing is uh, is an interesting conversation. We'll get more into uh, the Centene city park thing coming up uh, later on this hour. Uh, after we get through a, a couple guests, we'll talk with our Austin junior. We'll talk with Craig Mish next hour. We'll talk some blues hockey. We'll talk some Missouri football. We'll get back into the baseball playoffs. We have a very busy two hours today. Earl Austin jr. He is set to join us in just a moment or so. This is sports open line on KMOX. Your home of the Cardinals. Arnado swings and hits it deep to left field. That ball is out of here. The Billikens. Jumper. Yes! Billikens win! The Chiefs. Touchdown! Kansas City! We are America's sports voice. KMOX.
That's exactly what the St. Louis Billikens were doing last night. They played a little basketball as they had an exhibition game against Umzel, and they come away with a victory, 81-58. We are so excited. You're going to be hearing a whole lot of this guy uh, very, very soon as uh, St. Louis U, they're going to be uh, opening up their regular season schedule on Monday, November 7th, when they will play host to a tough Murray State team. We welcome on to the program Earl Austin Jr. Earl, always appreciate the time. How are you? I'm fine, man. How are you? I am doing good. Uh, what did you learn uh, from that uh, exhibition, if there was anything to learn? Well, I think we learned that, uh, we obviously, we got a lot. Of, I think we got a lot of quality depth and experience coming back. Uh, not Nothing breaking new, but that's always good. It's always good to have a lot of people who played a lot of basketball. Even our newcomers, we got guys with a lot of experience, like uh, Jake Forrester is a fifth-year senior, Javon Pickett, who started. In Belleville uh, East and Mizzou is a fifth-year senior. Sincere Parker come off the bench. Our lead scorer is a, is a JUCO transfer. In addition to the the mainstays who we watched for the last you know three or four years, Javante who didn't play last night, Yuri Gibson, Fred and company. So, uh, and then we got a little sneak preview with some of the youngins who have a chance uh, uh, possibly to contribute. So I, I'm impressed with that. Uh, I think potentially we have a chance to really be a good offensive team. You know, obviously we got a viewer who can move the ball, great passer, but we got some shooters, but we moved the ball well. Potentially we can be a very, very potent offensive team this year. I talked with Rammer earlier in the week, and, and he had mm-hmm. gone to a practice, and we were talking about that. And the first name he mentioned to me was Sincere Parker and just how good he can be, especially from an offensive standpoint and how he's been able to buy into the system, even coming from a, from a Juco. So I'll kind of ask you the same thing. What have you seen from Parker and what's his ceiling? Uh, he's got a, a very bright future with the program. He showed last night kind of a sneak preview of what he can do. He came in and scored 13 in the first half and very efficient. I mean, he's an excellent three-point shooter. He can get to his spot. He's kind of smooth with it. He's not rushed. And I watched him several times at Moberly when they went to the national tournament. He was a dynamic scoring threat from three-point range, but also got score as well. And I think he's probably somebody that's going to be instant offense off the bench uh, throughout the season, which is good to have. Somebody who can change the flow of a game coming off the bench. I love Juco basketball. I've broadcast a ton of Juco basketball in my career, so I've always got kind of a, a soft spot in my heart for that. What, When you've got a guy like Parker, what benefit is there for him? to? He was able to kind of dominate at a Juco level, but now he's being asked to really change his game but also not lose that, that ability to go out there and score, if that makes any sense. Can you just talk to me a little bit about uh, the you know the the evolution of a junior college basketball player into being somebody who can be uh, a big time contributor at the D one level. Well, it's, a, it's an adjustment, especially for him coming into a, a team that's got most of their experienced team back. He's going to have to battle for minutes, but he's shown the potential to to do that. Obviously, it's a different level of play. You know, there's a, junior college basketball is very good, but stepping into the Atlantic Ten or a major conference. That you still have a big adjustment, especially defensively. So many good players. I mean, when you're playing Dayton and and uh, VCU and some of the non-conference teams, so making that a big adjustment defensively on every possession, knowing the system and bringing that type of effort on the defensive end. And you saw it with Javante too. Javante didn't come out the gate 
like he is now, you know, one of the top scoring threats in the Atlanta 10. Took him a little while to get it going. He had some 10, 15 point games. Then by the end of his junior season in 2020, he was getting 20, 25, even a couple of 30 point games. So he's kind of a good model for sincere. He's kind of the same way a Juco scoring star who adjusted to the on the fly to pace to the defense and all those things and still was a, uh, an offensive threat as well. Yuri Collins, it was announced he's one of 20 student-athletes in the country on the watch list for the Bob Cousy Award. That each year goes to the top point guard in all of uh, men's NCAA Division One basketball. What what do you want to see from him this year? He had the seven assists yesterday. It really feels like uh, when he goes out on the floor, he's, a, he's in total control of what he wants to be doing. Absolutely. Obviously, you want to continue the – you want to see the assist turnover ratio, uh, like at least two to one, three to one. And in Yuri, sometimes he'll have a nine assists, one or two turnovers. In some games, he'll get a, he'll have a few more than you would like. So with more experience, I think with a few more wet scoring weapons around him, you won't see him having to dribble the ball too much. Because he had when Javante went out, Yuri not only became the floor leader, but he became one of our main scorers as well. And I think that really helped him as well. But with like Javante back and Gibson developed. You know, I think you'll see him really continue to spread the ball and be among the nation's leader in the fifth. You've seen him develop a mid-range jumper a little bit and a few uh, move and, and the ability to get a basket when we need it. And just to continue ele- evolution of his offensive game, become more of a, as much of a scoring threat because we saw it led the nation in the fifth and was an all-defensive team. That we already got those things on lock as well. Is it challenging, do you think, for a coach? And maybe this probably doesn't really apply to Collins, but just a a basketball question. Is it challenging for coaches when they have these guards who are just super skilled passers and you can see how much pride they take in setting up others for them to, for coaches sometimes to get in their ear and say, you got to be able to score as well? Yeah, at times, because, you know, we're in an age where, you see the point guard is the traditional point guard, like we've known, like a John Stockton Magic or a Jason Kidd, guys like that. H. Walden, for if you're a Billiken fan, was a pass first, uh, share the wealth, make sure everybody else ate before you eat. The, the, the point guard of today is more geared towards scoring. You get yours, you know, and, uh, and Yuri is more of a throwback point guard. And it took him a couple of years. And I think with Javante going out, I think it really uh, one of the, the, the shining lights of you know of a, of a bad injury was Yuri becoming an offensive threat, and you saw that the George Mason game comes to mind. He had 35 hit the game winner at the buzzer, hit a couple threes. So you see him more aggressive, and he, and now he's learned that fine line now to be when to get a bucket and when to be able to uh, you know get everybody involved in the offense, which is still what he wants to do, but now to be able to call his own number and get a basket too as well. So and that's that that makes him a complete point guard. A couple more things for Earl Austin Jr. who's joining us here on Sports Open Line. We've talked so much about what the team is doing from an offensive standpoint. Uh, Collins, though, recently named to the five-man all-defensive team for the league. Uh, Francis Okoro there as well. So two of the five all-defensive team members do come from St. Louis U. How good of a defensive club can this team be? Oh, well, that's going to be a big key, although we got a lot of scoring threats. You know, Fred Thatch, I think, is a lockdown-type defender. He can guard multiple positions. You know, uh, Javante, Gibson, although they're better offensive players, you know, they're, they're, you know, you got to continue to work and compete hard on the defensive end as well. So I think that's still something that Travis is going to uh, 
uh, be uh, a stickler for. I know he wasn't pleased with the defensive effort in the second half of uh, last night's game. So uh, I think that's uh, that's going to be a, a continued sticking point. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna challenge for an A10 title and hopefully get in the you know the postseason and uh, do all the go- you know succeed and I mean reach all the goals that we want to reach. Obviously, you're going to have to have a strong presence. And our defense, a lot of times, if you play good defense, it'll fuel transition, and which would uh, really, you know, really, you know, give us potential to score even more even out of our half court. Would Coach Ford and his staff take a look at the film from yesterday? What's the thing or two that they'd like to shore up before the regular season gets started? I think you know you talked about it after you know defensively, you know, that, you know, I'm so got into the paint a little bit. Uh, a little bit more, and I think that's what you, you want to. You know, it, one of the hardest things to do is guard the dribble. You know, keeping good players out of the lane because it compromises your defense. And I think just that continued, just an intense, uh, continued, uh, consistent intensity on the defensive end for 40 minutes, and that's what comes for having eight. If you have eight, nine, maybe ten quality players, you can keep up that intensity. I think that's going to be that's going to be a recurring thing throughout the. Throughout the entire season, just a consistency and an effort on that defensive end because that'll uh, fuel your offense. Wanted to ask you about Jordan Goodwin because he made the opening night roster for the Wizards on a two-way contract, and he's somebody who did the ten-day contract thing last year. He spent some time in the NBA G League. It really feels like in a relatively short amount of time he has made the most of his NBA opportunity. Yes, he has. He was undrafted, but he went to the summer league last year in Vegas and did real well and earned him an opportunity to uh, in, on the G League. And he had an excellent season for the go-go. Uh, led him in scoring for much of the season, improved his three-point shooting. And you know you're going to get the very good effort all the time. He's a great rebounding guy. He's going to defend, and he competes and competes, plays hard. And that's, that's uh, I think, uh, what really uh, – kept him, uh, gave him an even better opportunity to see him get this op- the two-way opportunity and a chance to be on the on the, on the bear roster. is just a testament to the work that he's put in. And I think that's great for the program, too, to say, yeah, you can go and slew and become an NBA player. You got to put the work in. And Jay Good has always been, been played since seventh and eighth grade. He's always had that uh, maniacal work ethic about him. And uh, you see it right now as a He's a young adult, and uh, he's living out his dream playing in the NBA. And speaking of the NBA, another St. Louis and, and Jason Tatum is uh, just continuing to play so well. Named the Eastern Player of the Week, averaged 35 points per game last week. He has really come out of the gate well for the Celtics. Pretty good, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, the focus, I think we've seen, not only 35, but eight rebounds. Yeah, almost two blocks a game. Yeah. So he's doing it at both ends, and I think, when you get that close to a title and you get a taste of the finals and then obviously you didn't win it, I think that kind of, you know, uh, you know, fires, it up, fires you up a little bit more to see him uh, uh, come out. And it shows great leadership as well, obviously with the, not only the preseason injuries that Boston's had, but the controversy, losing your head coach as well. So I think for him to step up into that role uh, and produce like he is early on to kind of let the league know that no, we're, we're still we're fine. We went through some we got some uh, some turbulence here again the season, but I think that was just a good statement for the league to let the league know we're still here. We're going to be fine. We're still going to be a force to be reckoned with in the Eastern Conference. He is Earl Austin Jr. Follow him on Twitter at Earl Austin Jr. We're going to be hearing a whole lot of him coming up real soon with uh, Slew Bilkins uh, basketball. Earl, thanks so much uh, for the time, and uh, look forward to uh, bringing you back on uh, real soon. 
My pleasure, man, always. All right, very good. There's Earl Austin Jr. joining us here on Sports Open Line. We're going to shift gears and get back into uh, baseball. Again, the news of the day, the Cardinals are on the market for a new bench coach as Skip Schumacher. He is leaving the organization. He becomes the next manager of the Miami Marlins. Craig Mish was the man who originally broke the news. We'll find out what the folks uh, in Miami are expecting out of Schumacher. We'll do that next. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. Welcome back to the Meyer Jensen Sports Open Line. Swing it along with the left. That's a grand slam for Yadier Molina. This is Sports Open Line on KMOX. We're going to shot into the right field corner. If it's fair, it's trouble. It is fair. The Cardinals lead 1-0. Schumacher with his six hit in this series into second base with an RBI double. That was from the 2011 NLDS. Skip Schumacher as a Cardinals player. He would eventually return as a Cardinals bench coach. And next, he's going to be a Cardinals opposing manager as he is set to take over as the manager of the Miami Marlins. The man who uh, broke the news has uh, covered the Marlins for a long time, does national work with SportsGrid. Uh, he is a uh, contributor with the uh, Miami Herald, does lots of stuff. Let's bring him on right now. He's Craig Mish. You can follow him on Twitter at Craig M-I-S-H. Craig, thanks so much for your time. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me tonight. Let's uh, let's get into the reasons why he's uh, Schumacher is very much respected in St. Louis. I think Cardinals fans are happy for him, but bummed to see him leave. Uh, this was a fairly quick process. It felt like once he got that interview, what did the Marlins see in Schumacher? Well, they they did interview a lot of folks for the job, and and I know that Schumacher had a really strong first interview, which sort of catapulted him into at least the conversation as a possibility for Marlins manager. But I just think that, uh, you know, and that, you know, from what I understand, that first interview was just very enthusiastic, energetic, you know, showed a lot of leadership qualities, certainly. And, and look, the kind of player that Skip is is sort of the kind of player that the Marlins really honestly are looking for, which is, you know, hardworking grinder. Someone has to fight for every single base hit, fight for everything um, and a leader. And, and I think that they got all those things in Skip, certainly. And then, you know, he had a second interview, with uh, the Marlins general manager, Kim Eng, and, and the owner, Bruce Sherman. And certainly, uh, you know, when it gets to that level, you're doing something right. And, uh, you know, very clearly, they were able to work out a deal after the second interview. They, they interviewed several candidates for it. Skip emerged as the leader, I guess, maybe late yesterday after they completed the interviews. And, and I suppose today they offered him the job and he accepted. So that's kind of where we're at. He inherits a team that's Got some really high-level pitching on it. It feels like it's a it's an organization that maybe doesn't want to spend all the money. We've seen some changes, obviously, in the ownership group that maybe was was connected to that. What's what's the future? Like, what do you think the Marlins told Schumacher in terms of their commitment to winning? Yeah, well, I mean, I I think that you know the main change now is that over the last let's say year and a half, two years, Kim Eng is you know now in control of baseball operations, and 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 to be fair, she really has been over the last year or so. But really now, I mean, this was her search, this was her candidate, and essentially this is going to be her club to try to figure out how to make things work. Now, last year, as you mentioned, uh, things did really not go well for them. Lots of pitching, not much hitting, and I and I think if you have an indictment on where the Marlins are right now, it is just the inability to sort of supplement the hitting to go along with that pitching. That's got to be done in the off season. It doesn't matter if uh, Skip Schumacher or Jose Okendo or any former Cardinal is the manager there. It's not going to make a difference. They're going to have to get some bats 
in the lineup, and that's going to have to come via trade. And Kim's going to have to be really busy this offseason sort of working deals to make that happen. I don't know that they're going to re-dip their toe into free agency like they did last offseason, giving guaranteed contracts of $55 million and $36 million, which for the Marlins obviously is significant. So we'll sort of have to see uh, the way things go uh, moving forward. This is a really tough division, obviously. You've got, the Mets and the Braves aren't going anywhere, and now you have the Phillies in, in the World Series. They're, this is a challenging job, right? Without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they're going to go into the season almost no matter what, pick to finish second to last. I mean, that's I don't, I don't think anything that they can do would change that. But I, I think that, especially from a fan standpoint, so much apathy set in toward the end of last year because if you remember when this ownership group took over, Derek Jeter was the CEO and had this you know sort of game plan laid out for some winning at some point, and that never happened. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's like starting over, but it sort of does feel like they are starting on a new plan and a new path here with Kim Eng and with uh, Skip now as manager and maybe even an overhaul of the roster. And, and that's kind of a hard pill to swallow for Miami fans because five years ago they thought that, you know, there'd be a lot of progress made. But unfortunately, there really was not. And let's give them credit. In 2020, they did make that postseason with that, that uh, short season there. I don't want to discount that. And they did beat the Cubs, too. But, yes, I think you're right. They're going to go into the year pick to finish fourth. They're going to have to surprise a lot of people to finish ahead of Atlanta, New York, and Philadelphia. There's no doubt. When Jeter came in, it felt like they were making a lot of organizational changes, uh, whether it was kind of disconnecting to, to some alumni, whether it was not having as many day games, not really doing the day games uh, on, on travel days as often, uh, the statues taken out, like just a bunch of things. Has any of that sort of stuff been kind of reeled back in, or is that still a work in progress? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so much was, for some reason, uh, you know, Derek had this sort of infatuation with disconnecting with so much of, of the Marlins' past that, uh, you know, to the point where, you know, some of it really didn't add up. I mean, you're right. Um, you know, I, some of it did. Let, let, let's be clear. To, to have their former president, David Sampson, be involved in any way wouldn't have made any sense. And I know there was some conversation about that. Uh, you know, there was a lot made of, of uh, Tony Perez and, and Andre Dawson, uh, Jack McKeon. And, and, but the, really the one that really made no sense was Jeff Kohenai. Like this guy, I'm sure you've heard, was like Mr. Marlin and uh, was, you know, sort of, you know, shown the door in a way that was you know, sort of shocking. Uh, statue, I didn't really have a huge problem with that. I, I just think overall, uh, you know, when Jeter took over uh, the team as the CEO, uh, sort of was, you know, making a lot of promises that he, in the end, didn't keep. I mean, they just, you know, they didn't get increased revenue from tickets. They didn't win a lot of games. The free agents that they signed, at least on a limited basis, didn't work out. So, you know, I, I don't know how you could consider that tenure a success, but it really doesn't matter anymore because a lot of the people that he brought in when he was here uh, have now been let go as well. His, you know, really his right-hand man, Gary Denbo, one of the vice presidents, is gone. Another in Jeff DeGroote, who was the uh, player development in the minors, he is gone too. And, and that does seem like what's happening now is Kim is uh, bringing in a lot of her own people to sort of start this over again. 
Craig Mish continues to join us. Just a couple more things for you. From more of a national standpoint, I'm really curious to see what this offseason is going to look like because obviously from a collective bargaining agreement standpoint, players wanted to see teams spending more money and being more aggressive in free agency. We saw it, it's my contention that in the National League, pretty much the only teams that tried to win were the teams that got into the postseason and most of the other teams didn't really try very hard to to win this year. And Now we go into the first offseason since the collective bargaining agreement. Do you have any ex- expectations about maybe what the the movement and the spending is going to look like no, it's, it, it's, it looks really fascinating to me I, I think the question you asked is great because it looks very fascinating to me at a number of different levels there there are a lot of players who sort of bet on themselves who are going back out to free agency again so i am curious about that rodon is one that i'm curious if he'll take a long-term deal he bet on himself with the giants he did fantastic aaron judge he bet on himself he's going to get probably 300 million But really, I I think the dynamic of what's happened in Major League Baseball, and certainly you saw this play out a little bit with the Cardinals where their shortstop position was somewhat of an issue. You have some real premier shortstops that are on the market this year that I think are game changers. And I think in this day and age, you kind of have to have one of your best players on the team be a shortstop. Look at the most wins across baseball on almost every single team. It's a very coveted position. And so you have Xander Bogarts and you have Trey Turner, and you have Carlos Correa, and you have Dansby Swanson. And those, to me, are game-changing players, and I can't wait to see the jockeying of these teams back and forth trying to figure out who's going to end up where. So for me, that's the most fascinating dynamic of the offseason, to see who spends for the top guys, and I do think those those shortstops are going to cash in. Do you have? I, I know you don't cover the Cardinals, obviously, on an everyday basis. But the biggest question going into next season is at that catching position. Do you have any sense on uh, what you're hearing about maybe what the Cardinals uh, might be looking at there? No, but but I will tell you that it, one name that would be interesting for me because of the emergence of one of the young prospects about you know of you know I don't know an hour drive, two hour drive from you guys is Salvador Perez. You know, Kansas City has a a young guy in Melendez who has come on and and I think has a chance to really be a star in this league. I I think he was one of the top catching uh, rookies in all of baseball this year. And and wouldn't it be something if the Cardinals could just pluck him right from, uh, you know, across the way and and pencil him into that six-hole or seven-hole? Remember, just a couple of years ago, he had 40 home runs. So, um, again, you'd be only filling the position temporarily, let's be honest, because Sal Perez is not going to play for 10 more years in baseball, but what catcher is. Uh, But that will certainly be something that I think they would attack. That's the one that comes to mind for me, just because, again, you're, you're, you're probably bringing back Wainwright and, you know, Flaherty, they're hoping for 100% health. The rotation for the Cardinals wasn't a strength all season long, but I have to think with health, especially with the addition of Montgomery, too. It's going to be better. He is Craig Mish. You can see and hear him on SportsGrid. You can uh, read him uh, in the Miami Herald on occasion. He's all over. He does a, a Marlins podcast. There's, there's a lot going on. He's got his uh, Swings and Mishes podcast as well. Uh, you can get all the information about where you can see and hear him on his Twitter account, at Craig, M-I-S-H. Craig, thank you so much for your time and uh, your insight. Really do appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have a great night. You too. There's Craig Miss joining us, and uh, appreciate uh, his time. And yeah, he uh, he broke that story earlier today. By the way, what he just said, I'm all in on Salvador Perez as the Cardinals catcher. How do how do we make that happen? That's more so than Wilson Contreras. Uh, more so than some of the other names uh, that have been mentioned. More so, what is Sean Murphy? Just give me Salvador Perez. That's 
I, I hadn't really thought much about Perez, but now Craig says it. And consider me the official leader of the pack on the Salvador Perez to the Cardinals bandwagon. Let's make that happen somehow, some way. This is Sports Open Line. We're going to jump back into this uh, naming rights situation with uh, St. Louis City SC and Centene and Centene backing out. Maybe what, what do we make of this thing? We're back with more in a moment. It's Sports Open Line on KMOX. Sports Open Line does continue here on a Tuesday. My name is Matt Pauley, 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. You can also tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Coming up uh, next hour, we'll talk some uh, Missouri football. Head coach Eli Drinkwitz addressing whether or not he would give up play calling potentially. His answer might surprise you. It was not a simple yes or no answer. There was some uh, some nuance to it, so we'll get into that. Uh, Matt Snyder covers Major League Baseball for CBS Sports. He is scheduled to join us at 7.20, and uh, we'll hear some uh, comments from earlier in the day from uh, St. Louis Blues coach uh, Craig Berube. After the Blues lose for the first time all season yesterday, they hung tough for a while against Winnipeg, but then end up uh, losing by a 4 nothing score. Just real quick on the Blues before we get to what we're really talking about in this segment. I was, and, and this is weird to say after a 4 nothing loss, but I was actually pleasantly surprised with the performance of Thomas Grice. I would have loved to have seen the Blues just get him a goal or two in the first couple periods to see what that would have looked like because not only did he keep the team in the game, he made some nice saves, especially in the early going and obviously, when you haven't scored, things kind of can go in the wrong direction. And we saw that as the game moved along. But if that's the level of play, especially for what he did there in the first couple periods, if that's the level of play you're going to get from Grice all season long, they're they're fine. They are fine. And that's one of the question marks going into the season, what they're going to get out of their backup goaltender. I feel better right now than I did even before yesterday's game. So we'll see if he can start to put those kind of performances together. Uh, we hit on this when we opened up the show, and this is one of those things that, I, to be blunt with you, it's hard to do a sports radio segment about this because I don't know what to say, and I don't know I don't have all the information. That's the thing. We don't have all the information, but it is it is weird. It is a very very weird thing that before we ever see St. Louis City SC play in a game that they have already lost their naming rights sponsor. It was going to be Centene Stadium. It's not going to be Centene Stadium. Instead, it's going to be called City Park, all one word, all caps, which I actually like, City Park. It's not going to stay that way, though, because they're going to, at some point in time, they're going to work out some sort of naming rights deal. Here's the weird thing on this. This is... This is what I just cannot grasp. Centene went into this and had a 15-year deal. 15 years. They didn't come in on a three-year naming rights deal or even a five-year naming rights deal where they could have sat there and said, you know what, if this doesn't really work out, we can survive this for a few years and then we can rethink it once this contract is up or, you know, when there's a couple years left on the contract, maybe if we really are unhappy with it, maybe we find a way to get out of it. This was a 15 year deal. 
and no corporation goes into a 15-year deal without thinking it through all the way. So for them, and I know like the the history, uh, and I don't I don't say I hope this doesn't sound like I'm bashing a, a local company. I'm not. Like there's, we need as many corporations to set down roots in St. Louis and be here and, and support the community and support everything they do. And Centene does a fantastic job with that. And they're still going to do some things uh, with the soccer club uh, in the statement today. Uh, they said that uh, the two sides came together to reshape the partnership and that the team will continue to work together with them on community health and wellness initiatives. But that again, that that almost feels like they want to community health and wellness initiatives don't really cross with the soccer team going and playing and winning and signing. Like it, it seems like this is an auxiliary thing that the soccer team is going to be doing as a member of the St. Louis community, but it's not their number one goal. So Centene's going to be involved with that. It just feels kind of weird. It feels weird. And that's all I have. I'm just going to repeat for the next week, like three minutes left in the segment. I'm just going to repeat for three minutes. It feels weird because that, that's what it feels like I'm doing. I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know how this led to it. Uh, you look at Centene and you look at some of their, you know, at one point it looked like they were going to move to Charlotte and now they're not. If you remember, they were going to go into a ballpark village. Like we're going back to uh, mid 2000s where they said they were going to be part of ballpark village. And then they pulled out of that. And at the time they were the biggest tenant for ballpark village. Obviously ballpark village has been just fine uh, without Centene. So you don't know, like it just, but they've got this history now as a corporation of saying that they're going to do things and then not do things. And sometimes that's good. We are all very, very happy that they did not move their headquarters to Charlotte. We did not want to see that. We wanted them. We want them to continue to uh, be part of the St. Louis business community. But it's just, it's another like what, what other company? And admittedly, I'm just back into St. Louis. I hadn't lived here for a while. I'm just back here over the past few months. But what big company in St. Louis has had all these different things that they've they've kind of been connected with uh, throughout their time? And now here's just another. The question is. Does this impact St. Louis City SC from like an operational standpoint from uh, because they don't have as much cash coming in? Matt Pajeski asked me that earlier. He said, so is this going to impact their ability to sign players? And my initial reaction is probably not, but I don't know. Like I don't, I, I'm not, I don't completely grasp and understand the finances of an, of an MLS club. Uh, I feel like I understand the finances of a major league baseball club. I have a pretty good understanding of the finances of an NHL team. I have the understanding of what happens in the NFL. Like if an NFL team loses their naming rights sponsor more often than not, you know, they're so flush with cash there and they spend up to the, up to the cap. Anyways, that's not really going to impact the, uh, what, what a team does from a competitive standpoint, it will impact the team's bottom line. So I just don't know. I, I don't know how this, that that's kind of the question that comes out of this. What impact does this have on this organization that they have lost a 15 year naming rights sponsor from Centene what really happened there? How quickly can they maybe work out a deal with another corporation? If they do work out another deal with a corporation, are they going to be able to get the same type of money 
that they were going to get on this 15-year deal. Maybe they get more money. Maybe they get less money. There had been some rumblings that Centene was spending a whole bunch of money uh, for that. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at on this thing, and I don't totally know what the answer is. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two on the way. Missouri football, blues, hockey. We talk about it next hour here on KMOX.